Well, good morning. Welcome to Harvest. Now you want to know what our children's ministry does with your kids. That's what's going on. No, it. Uh, I, I love that video, and and uh, there are a few of those are my hero. I love that girl there at the end. Like, nah, I don't care. You know, she just stuffs it in her mouth. It's funny when we see kids kind of playing this out, but the reality is, us as adults, we still do this. They're just a little bit more expensive, right? Maybe a little bit bigger consequences as, as well that are related to that. But uh, we want to see how close we can get without actually maybe indulging ourselves, hoping that maybe this will turn into to more in that process. We are in a series that we're calling um, Walking Through the Book of Genesis, and we're kind of highlighting key stories throughout that. If you're new with us, this is your first Sunday. Specifically, I just want to say welcome, a special welcome to you. My name's Lee. I have the joy and the privilege to serve here as, as the senior pastor of Harvest. We would love to be able to connect with you following the service. I would encourage you to stop by our guest services table right over here in the hall. We have a small gift card we'd love to place in your hand. Buy your next Starbucks. Buy your next Dunkin' Donuts. Just say, just say thanks for being with us. But we've been walking through key kind of moments in the, in, in the storyline of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. Today, we're going to take a look at the story of a man named Lot. And uh, I just kind of want to put this disclaimer out there. Um, in our conversation that we're going to be having today, um, if you know anything about the story of Lot, it includes the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, which means that there's a lot of dark themes that uh, we're going to be walking through today. We're going to be reading scripture. We're going to be diving through stories of the Bible. But in that, we're going to be taking a look at some dark themes. For some of you, you may have children in the room. Um, I'm going to let you use your discretion if you're ready to have that conversation or you've already had some of these conversations. If you're uncomfortable with that, this would be the point of the service. I would encourage you to, to jump out. But in this conversation, we're going to take a look at the big idea specifically that I want us to kind of focus in on today is simply this, that what we move towards today is what makes our tomorrow. So what we move towards today is the very thing that makes our tomorrow. And so in this story that we're going to take a look at in, in the life of Lot, we're going to do kind of a quick survey of that. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 13, or you can pull open your digital device, start there. And we're going to spend most of our time in Genesis chapter 19, but we're going to kind of hit a couple key things through the life of, of Lot. And in as we do that, as we take a look at the life of Lot, what we're going to see kind of come forward in this conversation today is we're going to see the progression of sin kind of laid out before us. Um, and we're going to learn a lot about sin, the grip that sin has on our lives. And sin has a way of moving us down a road that it may seem great at first. It may be totally fun. It may be something we go, man, this is exciting. This is adventurous. But in the end, you actually find out that it's not. In the end, you find yourself at a dead-end road. And when you get to the dead-end road you find that it actually leads to destruction. As we take a look at the life of Lot, you're going to see a lot of dumbness, a lot of foolishness, and a lot of destruction. And it really is connected to the very first week of our conversation back in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, where you have Adam and Eve, they're walking through the Garden of Eden, life is perfect. God says, hey, all of this 
is for your enjoyment, but don't go over to that tree. You're not to touch that tree. You're not to eat from that, that tree. And then we see Satan approaches them in the form of a serpent. And he begins to spin. He begins to twist the word of God. He begins to, to twist the truth that God has brought forward and just kind of say, did God really say? And they begin to question God. They begin to question the words of God. They begin to, to miss, to distrust God and God's word. It's, God must be holding out on me. He, there's something that he didn't want me to explore. And, and so I'm going to choose to do my own thing versus trust in God's way. He must be holding out. And so what we're going to see is a very similar approach, a very similar pattern begins to play out in the life of Lot. And as we walk through these kind of four basic progressions that sin has in our lives, that we can fall prey to at every level of this, I want you to take some time today and I want you to contemplate to yourself, where am I? What, where, where am I? Define for yourself. What, what is my wrestle? Where am my struggle? Is there something that God right now wants me to deal with in this process? Now, in Genesis 1 through 11, we see this whole creation story that God is creating humanity. And we've walked through some of the problems that have come as a result of that. We've walked through the flood and what did that mean and how God's grace was evident in that. We get to chapter 12, and we see a transition. So the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis are focused on the creation of humanity. Moving in chapter 12, you begin the creation of the Hebrew people, specifically through the seed of Abraham. That Abraham was the beginning of the Hebrew people, who we identify as the Jewish nation today. And that through Abraham, that God would actually bring restoration. He would bring the Redeemer. He would bring the one that would bring all salvation to humanity and to creation through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, who is Lot? Lot is the nephew of Abraham. And Abraham follows this call that God had on his life, and he goes and with him brings family, and life goes really well. He experiences enormous blessing. Lot and Abraham kind of go into business, and they do really, really well. Like Abraham and Lot, both, they make a lot of money in trade and herdsmen and in raising you know, sheep and, and different types of livestock. They make a lot of money, and as a result, they be kind of in this moment that they realize, you know what? We better split up because we're having a hard time getting along at this stage of our life. Abraham turns to Lot and says, hey, you pick which side that you want to go settle. Like, I'm going to bless you. You pick whatever direction you want to go and you want to raise your livestock. I'll go the other direction. Well, Lot in that moment, he turns and he looks and he's wanting the best for himself. And so he looks at this area of land. And he goes, man, this is really good. Things grow well. There's plenty of water. This would be a perfect place. I can continue to extend my hand. I'm going to continue to make a lot of money. So he says, Abraham, I want to go here. Abraham goes, that's great. Blessings upon you. You go there. I'll go here. And Abraham moves in the opposite direction where it didn't look very good. It was harsh land, but God blesses Abraham in that process, and Abraham flourishes as well. Now, the interesting thing is the direction that Lot chose to move. 
And so the first thing we're going to begin to see here, the first stage of the progression of sin begins to be laid out for us in Genesis chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. So Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 12, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan. So that's the direction that Abraham went. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot understood where he was landing. He understood the reputation that existed in the city of Sodom. He chose to move in that direction. He chose to get as close to Sodom as he possibly could, but he at this point hadn't actually gone and entered into the city. He made his life in the outskirts of the city of Sodom, which brings us to the first progression of sin. The first progression of sin is flirtation. It's flirtation. Flirtation, we, we saw that even played out in that video with the marshmallows and, and the kids. Flirtation is the idea of, I want to get as close as I possibly can. It's this idea of intrigue, of what can be. I'm going to go as far as I possibly can, but I'm not going to touch. How close, in other words, how close can I get before I actually cross that line? How far can I get before it becomes wrong? I'm going to go as far as I possibly can before it's considered sin. This is the big question that every teenager asks when it comes to the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. How far can I go before it gets off limits? How far can I go before it's considered something wrong? I mean, we see this play out all the time as siblings, right? I mean, I can remember, I'm the oldest, so... Being the oldest meant I wanted to pester my younger siblings all the time and just wreak havoc on their life. And I can remember for different times, like in car rides, it was especially bad. And you'd sit there and you kind of go do one of these things to your sibling. Touch. Touch. Right? Touch. Mom! Dad! Lee's touching me. Lee, stop touching your sister. Okay. And then it was what? Not touching you, right? I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you, but you're going to get as close as you possibly can. You want to push the limits, right? And it's driving your sibling crazy, and your parents are like, stop it. Would you just stop? But you said, I'm paying attention. I'm obeying your words. We may be obeying the words, but what are we doing? I'm disrespecting the heart behind it, right? I want to get as close as I possibly can. And I can remember then it was... Well, okay, if I can't play that game, I'm just going to stare out their window. And I remember my sister complaining, Lee's staring out my window. You know, it's like, how far do, can we push this back and forth? For those that you grew up with siblings, you understand, you've lived this. Some of you were, you were the instigator as well when it came to this. We want to push the boundaries. That's like, that's part of our human nature at this point. We want to go as far as we possibly can. And it begins with this idea of flirtation. Well, how far can I go before it's wrong? How far can I go before it turns into sin? Here's the problem with this. That's the wrong question to be asking. The wrong question is not how far can I go before it turns into sin? How far can I go before it becomes the wrong decision? 
but as it should be, how close can I get through the, to the Lord through this? In my decision-making, is this moving me closer to the Lord? Is it moving that person closer to the Lord? Is it helping deepen my relationship with God? Is it helping them deepen their relationship with God? See, the problem is this tends to be the location. This tends to be the place where our faith gets stuck because we want to honor the words we want to play this game, but in the process, we're disrespecting the heart. We're disrespecting God's word at the heart level, not understanding, not trying to value what, what's, why did God say no to that very thing? What area in your life right now, what are you flirting with right now? that you need to flee from? What area in your life are you towing the line? Are you getting as close as you possibly can? See, I think oftentimes it's easier for us to identify the sin that we're wrestling with versus actually doing the thing we're supposed to do. I mean, take our eating habits, for instance. Most of us in the room know, you know what, I probably shouldn't eat cake for every single meal. I should probably avoid eating that much sugar. I probably shouldn't drink, you know, two gallons of soda a day. But we don't know how to replace it with the right thing and to adapt the habits and the discipline in our life to do the right thing instead of falling trapped to that bad thing. Don't ignore the things that God is calling you to do because he's leading you to be the person that he wants you to be. The same thing is true when it comes to even our involvement in the life of the church. We know God wants us to serve. We know that God wants us to give. We know that God wants us to share our testimony. We, we know that we should be actively participating in the life of the church, but for some reason we want to flirt with other ideas. We want to flirt with, ah, I'm really not that needed. I'm not that useful. I'm not that helpful. And so we begin to flirt with this certain direction. Hey, this is the direction I want to go. Which leads us to the second progression, which we're going to see play out in Genesis chapter 14. Go and flip over to Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 11. He says this, So the enemy took all of the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions, and they went their way. They also took Lot and the son of Abram's brothers, who was dwelling in Sodom and the possessions, and went their way. Do you see what's going on here? The second level of progression, sin progression in our lives, is we go from flirtation to rationalization. We move from flirtation to rationalization. Lot... Originally, when we look back at verse 13, he, he lived, he encamped himself outside of the city of Sodom. We see in chapter 14, the city of Sodom is seized by outside invaders. And in that process, what do they do? They capture Lot inside the city and they take him out. Somewhere in Lot's thinking, in his reasoning in his rationalization, he began to go, well, it's not that bad. And he goes from living outside of the city of Sodom to now living inside the city of Sodom. 
somewhere he began to rationalize that decision. Now, the way that it plays out is Abraham finds out what happened and that his nephew was taken by these invaders. And Abraham himself raises up an army and he goes and attacks the army and he, he takes Lot out of there. He rescues his own nephew in that process. But for some reason in Lot's life, it goes from flirtation, I'm flirting with this enough, to eventually he decided to cross the line. And in that, you begin to justify why this is a good decision. Do you know what rationalization is? Rationalization is when you attach yourself to a rational lie. Rationalization is when you begin to rationalize the lie. For some people, and I've seen it over and over and over again, I mentioned before a few weeks ago that I've now been in vocational ministry for almost 25 years. And I've seen people for all kinds of different reasons disconnect from the church because of a bad experience, because somebody hurt their feelings, because somebody said to do this. Somewhere along the line, they began to believe, you know what? I can worship God outside of the church. I don't need the church. And it began to rationalize a lie. Because when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, you are now, as Scripture identifies it, you are now part of what is called the body of Christ. In other words, you have a position to play. The church is a living organism. And in that, you are a part of that living organism. When you're not a part of it, when you're not playing the role, when you're not playing the part that God has for you, the body is incapacitated to perform at its fullest level, to be truly who it was wired to be. You're missing out, and the rest of us are missing out. Because why? We're operating as a severed body. We're not able to function the way that God actually intended us to function. The reality, and we've said it here at Harvest, you can't go to church because you are the church. That's why it's okay for us to gather on a regular basis each and every weekend in a middle school. The building isn't what makes us a church. It's the people that make us a church. And just because you had a bad experience, somebody said something, the pastor challenged you, you're now at a place where you begin to rationalize when you're constantly making excuses why I don't need to do that, why I don't need to play the part, why, why I can do something different than that. And so we go from flirtation, I'm going to see how close I possibly can, to a level of rationalization where we begin to rationalize and believe in a lie. Which brings us to the third layer of progression into sin, and that's transformation. Transformation. When we begin to believe something, when you sit long enough in a sin, in a lie, it actually begins to change who you are. Listen to me here for a moment, church. Don't become so arrogant to think that you know better than God. 
where you push his words to the side and begin to believe your own thoughts. That's arrogance. That's pride. And it will, if you sit in that long enough, it will transform your life, not for the good, but for the worse. Let's see what begins to play out in Lot's life. Remember, he began to f- this level of flirtation. I'm going to get close to the city of Sodom. He began to rationalize it. He ends up moving into the city of Sodom. And now, let's see what begins to take place. Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to start reading verse 1. It says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Let me stop there. So, The city of Sodom is so evil, it's so wicked, God sends angels down to kind of check out, and in the same time, to bring rescue to Lot and his family. Abraham had had this conversation with God that God said, the city is so wicked, I'm going to destroy it. And Abraham began to pray, knowing that his nephew and his family was living in the city of Sodom. God, would you rescue them? God sends angels down to take care of the situation, and that's where we pick up. Now, here's the interesting thing is, where is Lot sitting? He's sitting at the gate. That is an interesting thing to notice. Now, cities operated differently than kind of how things operate today. People now, what, you may drive from the suburb into the city, and that's where you kind of did your work, and then you drive home back to the suburb. Back then, it was the opposite. The city within the gates, the walls of the city was a safe place. That's where people lived. They did their business mostly outside the city gates. So they would venture out to meet traders and run into people and do what they needed to do business-wise, and then they come back in. The people that sat at the gates of the city were the leaders and the elders of the city. So at this stage of his life, Lot has now lived in the city of Sodom long enough. Most people believe that at this point, it's probably he's lived in the city around 13 years. So he's lived there enough that he has now been elevated to being seen as a leader and as an elder in the city of Sodom. Flirted with it, rationalized it, and is now being transformed by it. What we need to understand about sin, sin will always take you farther than you ever want to go, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Always. Sin will always take you further than you want to go, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, He rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. Now, culturally, this was the thing to do. You see a guest, you want to invite them into your home. At the same time, there's an element. I think Lot understood where he lived. He understood the wickedness of the city, and he wanted to protect these visitors as well. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. Again, the reason why I believe Lot understood where he lived. He understood the wickedness and the evil that existed here. He's pushing them. No, 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 no. Guys, you don't want to just camp out in the middle of the city. You need to come into my house. 
So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man, they surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. In other words, he's saying, bring these men out, these visitors out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So in that moment, Lot is trying to make the right decision. He's like, guys, these are guests in my home. Don't do this. I've invited them in here. I, I, no, like I, I, we're not going to do this. Do not give yourself into this wickedness. And then verse 8, he says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. You sit here and you kind of read this, and there's a part of you go, man, this just seems wrong. This just seems disgusting in so many different layers. It's a great reminder to us how we give in a little bit. We begin to flirt. We move to rationalization. That sin begins to transform us. In this moment, Lot's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to protect these guests. But in that process, what does he do? He sells out his own daughters. Yes, it was the right thing to try to protect his guests, but at the same time, isn't he as a man supposed to protect his family? 100%. What took place, what shift began to take place in his life that he got to the point where he was willing to sell out his family? Here's what I've also seen. We still do this in different ways today. We want to be seen a certain way. We want to not be the poorest person that shows up to a party. So we work really hard to drive that car, to live in that neighborhood. And when the whole process, listen to me, we sacrifice our families and our kids for that. We begin to rationalize somewhere along the line. That's what's really more important. It's important that my kids get that sports scholarship. It's important that my kids make it to that school. It's important that I have the ability to drive that car, to live in that neighborhood, to be able to take that vacation. And we, we rationalize our time away from our family, and as a result, we're sacrificing them to the evils and the wickedness of the world. Guys, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Sin will transform your perspective. It will always take you further than you want to go, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. Where have you sat so long that you are doing things that you think are good, but in all actuality, they're not? What is that in your life? We're going to see another progression that begins to take place here. The chapter continues. Let's skip on down to verse 30. Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 30. It says, Now Lot went up out of Zor 
and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So what happens here? The angels turned to Lot, and they said, God's going to destroy the city. He's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys need to head out. Pack up your things. Gather your family. It's now time to leave the city. Well, Lot's son-in-laws choose, nah, we're going to stay here. And so the daughters that were married ended up staying in the city. Lot gathers his wife and two other daughters that weren't married, and, and they decide to go. But Lot's taking his time. He's not heeding the words of these angels very well. He's just kind of slow. He's methodically. He's just kind of putting it off. And the angels kind of get frustrated at this point. They're like, Lot, get your stuff and go because God is going to destroy it. And in that process, he says, as you exit the city, you're going to head out into the hills. You're going to live over there. Lot goes, I don't really want to live there. Can I go over here? Can I join this village? Can I live there? Because... You know, it's going to be hard for me to make a living when I, I'm not living around all these people, even though he had great wealth at this stage of his life. And he begins to justify it. And the angel's like, fine, that's fine. We'll allow you, we won't destroy that village. You can go live over there. But as you exit the city, don't look back. Don't look back. Which is also a great reminder to all of us. Sometimes the thing that we're holding on to, that sin that has entrapped us, our tendency is we want to walk forward, but we, as we do so, we like to look back. We're, we're, we're caught up in the pull, the gravitational pull that exists of those things and those experiences that we've had in our life that honestly are very dangerous, not good, and lead in the wrong direction. And in that process, as they're exiting the city, God begins to rain down fire on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, destroying them. Lot's wife turns around and looks back. And in an instant, God turns her into a pillar of salt. She's done. Lot now just lost his wife. He lost all that he knew. He lost all those people that he had known. And he's moving toward the city of Zor with his two daughters. And so he says... When they went out to Zor, they lived in the hills with his two daughters. So it says, for he was afraid to live in Zor. He was the only survivor. There's probably rumors what took place, how in the world did Lot make it. So he felt like, you know what, it's not safe for me to go there. These people are trouble as well. So at this point, he goes, okay, the angels kind of knew what I probably should do. So he goes and lives out in the hills. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us, and after the manner of all the earth. It says, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So you catch what's going on. They're worried about their legacy. They're worried about the lineage of their father. And so in this, they begin to justify. They begin to flirt with this whole idea. They begin to rationalize it. Well, we're never going to meet our man. We're never going to be able to carry on the lineage. So why don't we get our father drunk and we'll sleep with him and we'll allow him to pregnate us? This is in Scripture. 
Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him, and we may preserve our offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know why she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and laid with him, and he didn't know why she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Do you think... For a moment, that when Lot made the decision to move into the land in proximity to Sodom, that he in in that moment thought at all that it, he would find himself in a cave, drunk, having sex with his two daughters. If you stay on the path, rationalizing why you don't need God and why you know better than God, it will destroy you. It ultimately leads to number four, destruction. When we begin to flirt with sin, will end up rationalizing the sin. The sin begins to transform us. And in the end, it will destroy you. Instead of following this path, what we have to learn to do is we need to learn what it looks like for us to live in God's grace. To live from, from God's grace. To actually put our trust in knowing and, and accepting the fact God is good. He knows things that I don't know. He has a perfect plan, and it is the best plan. Now, what do we do with this? Because we all have our inner struggles. We all have these wrestles. We all have these things that we want to look back at and go, you know what? I didn't really need to leave that in my past. It really wasn't hurting me at that time. And we begin to rationalize and even go back to those things that we used to do. Here's what I've come to realize, come to experience in my life and seen it so true in so many other people's lives. God is a God of second chances. He's a God of redemption. He's a God who has the power to restore. So there's two things I would challenge each and every one of us to do. It's confess and come close. We need to confess and we need to come close. Confess those things that we're struggling with. Here's the thing. It's always better to confess the sin that you're, you're thinking about doing before you actually do it. Bring it into the light. Allow God to deal with it. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. 
The, the first thing that we need to do when it comes to confession is we, we confess a couple things. Number one, we confess that God is God and that I'm not. That's an important, important first step. The second thing is we confess to the fact that, you know what, God has the right to make the standard by which I'm called to live my life. The third thing is confess the fact, you know what, I messed up. I didn't live up to that standard. And that, God, I need your help. That's what it means to confess. And in that process of confession, it doesn't mean that we're going to continue to walk in the same direction, pursuing the same struggles, but we're willing to churn and go the other direction. Say, I'm done with that. I don't want to flirt with it anymore. I don't want to rationalize it anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with that yuck. God, I'm going to choose to pursue you. I want to pursue your path. I want to pursue your plan for my life. God, I need you. And so there's power when we come to our knees and we confess, God, I, I can't do it. I need you. Redeem this heart. Restore this heart. Restore my life. Break the bonds that sin, the direction that sin is pulling me in. The second thing is, we need to come close to one another. We need one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. This is one of the reasons why we want to do group life. We want to do life in small groups together because we need one another. There's power when we come together and go, you know what, guys, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray with me? I'm wrestling with this emotion. I'm wrestling with this thing at work. I'm wrestling in this relationship. I need your help. Pray with me. Coming through next month in August, we're going to begin to talk a little bit more about what would it look like for you to join and be a part of a small group. I'm going to encourage you to really, really consider that. So much so that you would shift portions of your lifestyle to make it a priority to spend one or two hours a week with other people here in our church. I don't think you'll regret it. There's power when we confess and when we choose to come close. You see, when God looks at us and says, hey, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to do that. Don't even come close to that thing. Stop flirting with that. He's not being a jerk. He's being loving. Friends, I love you enough to say the hard thing. I want you to, to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. Learn to put aside those struggles, put aside those things that are deep and, and, and hard. Move away from the things that you want to flirt with. It's not about towing the line. It's about, is this moving me closer to Jesus? What we move towards today is the thing that makes our tomorrow. What are you choosing to move towards? What are you willing to give up to move closer to Jesus? Let me pray with you this morning. Lord, we need you. We love you. Help us to identify the struggles that are very real in our lives. God, I thank you that you are a God of second chances. 
You're a God who restores. You're a God who redeems. We all have our inner struggles. We all have those things that we, we wrestle with. God, I, I pray that you'd help us to identify. I pray you help us to confess those things before you. Help us to move in the right direction, to move closer to knowing who you are. Lord, you are our God, and we choose to worship you in your name.